I was with uh, Brendan a few weeks ago in Esther's house when we videotaped that, and it was an honor. And I know Esther's with us this morning, and thank you for sharing your story with all of us. My name's Matt. Were you clapping again? Uh, You can clap again. My name's Matt, and uh, I am the lead pastor here, and um, I'm trying to find my slides. I might need Brendan's help up here with this thing. Where, where are you at, Brendan? You up there? Can you fix this for me? Thank you. Uh, my name's Matt, and um, when, I, when I heard that story, it, I felt like I was in, uh, in a sacred space just listening to that story. When I heard that story, I knew exactly what I wanted to teach on alongside Esther's story. Um, We're in this series uh, called Kairos. It's a summer series where um, we're asking the person teaching up front on a particular Sunday morning to just share out of the overflow of what God's been speaking to them, how God's been getting their attention. The word Kairos is a Greek word for time, which means a moment in time, uh, a breakthrough, if you will. And I felt like a few weeks ago, um, when I was out on a morning run, I was listening to a podcast uh, from Erwin McManus, and he was teaching on um, the story of Caleb in the Old Testament and uh, going into the promised land. And I found myself, much like, you know, happens all the time when you're reading this book, like you could be reading stories that you know inside and out, and suddenly something fresh hits you that you never saw before, that you never thought about before, that you never paid attention. You know, a, a dot gets connected. And I felt like one of those happened for me that morning when I was running. Um, as I'm, you know, re-familiarizing myself with the story of Caleb, and uh, I just found myself getting really inspired, inspired. Like, I, I, I remember stopping and just kind of, like, listening intently, like, like, just getting pumped up about the story of Caleb. And I thought, I want to I share that story. I want to teach on that sometime, and I can think of no better morning than this morning. So let me pray, and we're going to dive right into it. Father, as we open up the living, breathing word of God this morning, I pray that you take stories that may be familiar to us and give us fresh bread. Inspire us and challenge us in the ways that we need to be this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let me start by just giving us some context for the story. If you have a Bible, I'm going to encourage you to turn to the book of Numbers. It's towards the beginning of the Bible. It's in the Old Testament, one of the first five books of the Old Testament. The book of Numbers, find chapter 13 and just pause right there. I'm going to give us some context. Um, If you go back to the very first book of the Bible, to the book of Genesis, in in Genesis 12, we have this very... um, familiar scene where God decides to kind of reenact with, with, with humanity in a fresh way, and he chooses a man named Abram, and he calls Abram. He calls Abram to leave his land and go to a, a land that God will show him, to, to leave all that's familiar and go to a place that's unfamiliar. Go to the land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, God says. I will make you into, thanks a lot, Brendan. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless Bless you, and through you, I'm going to bless the world. So Abram does. He obeys God. He picks up and he leaves for the land of Canaan. Now remember that. He leaves for the land of Canaan, the promised land. And uh, God makes a covenant with Abram. He says, like, to, to your descendants, I'm going to give this land. I'm going to give this territory to your descendants. And that covenant gets affirmed, right, um, from Abraham down to his son Isaac and from Isaac down to his son Jacob. 
And Jacob, as we know, is also called Israel. His name is also Israel, and he has 12 sons, one of them being Joseph. Joseph's the cat with the cool colored coat, right? And he's the one, we know the story, that gets sold by his brothers into slavery, and he ends up in Egypt where it's not going well for him. He finds himself in prison, but eventually, being a faithful man, he works his way up through the ranks, and eventually, he's like the right-hand man of Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. So what, what happens next is a severe famine is on its way. And there's going to be seven years of plenty, then seven years of famine. So um, Joseph is put in charge of storing up all kinds of grain, all kinds of food in preparation for the famine. Seven years of plenty happen, then the seven years of famine hit. And the famine um, goes beyond Egypt. It goes into this land where Abraham and his descendants had settled. And by that time, um, Jacob, Israel, is there, and they're experiencing famine. So he sends some of his sons back to Egypt. You remember this story? And they go back to Egypt to get some grain, to buy some grain. And and through a bunch of cool events, uh, they eventually, and weird events actually, they get reunited with their brother Joseph. And and Joseph says, go get our dad and and move the whole family here to Egypt. So like 70 um, of of Jacob's, you know, of Israel's family, they they move to Egypt and they settle there um, where there's food during this famine. Well, they end up, if you know the story, they end up... uh, not just settling there, but becoming very abundant people there. They, they, they multiply, they, they grow in numbers, so much so that they're now into the thousands, and, and some would even speculate possibly into the millions, and this becomes a problem for Egypt, so what Egypt decides to do is they make the Israelites their slaves, and, and they, they force them into slavery and into forced labor, and, and that, that, that goes on for like 400-some years. And then Moses, Moses enters the picture. He's the baby in the basket that gets discovered by Pharaoh's daughter and he he rises up in the leadership, but then he flees. And eventually God meets him in a burning bush and sends him back to Egypt to free his people from slavery. And so you probably have heard that story. Moses goes back and Aaron helps him and there's these series of like signs and wonders and these plagues and eventually the angel of death comes and all the firstborn in Egypt are killed except those that had the blood of the lamb over them. And, and Pharaoh finally lets the Israelites go. He lets God's people go. And, and they, they, they escape and then there's this scene where the Egyptians change their mind and they're chasing them. And then the parting of the Red Sea, God parts a sea and Israel the people of Israel walk through the sea on dry land. We're going to the promised land, baby. We're going to the promised land. Finally, this land that was, was spoken to, to Abram so many years ago is now finally happening. We're going to the pr- promised land. That brings us to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers 13. I'm just going to um, kind of paraphrase, not paraphrase, but just kind of tell the story, then we'll zoom in on some particular verses. So just follow along if you have your Bible or if you have a, a Bible app in front of you. So they're getting ready to go to the promised land, okay? And the Lord says to Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to send some men to go explore the land of Canaan, or the promised land, which I'm giving to the Israelites. So from each tribe, I want you to choose one person to represent that tribe and to go explore the land. So it gives you the name of the 12 
spies, uh, the 12 guys who go explore the land. One of them is named Caleb. He's from the tribe of Judah. And one is named Joshua, okay? And uh, so we get their names. And then Moses gives them really specific instructions. He kind of gives them, you know, a plan of attack when they go explore the land. This is what he says in verse 17. He says, I want you to go up through the Negev and into the hill country, See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak. Are they few or many? What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How's the soil? You know, is it fertile or poor? Are there trees or not? Do your best to bring back some fruit from the land because it was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up. And they explore the land. They follow, Mo- they follow Moses' instructions. They spend 40 days exploring the land of Canaan, the promised land. And if you know the story, it says they even cut off a single cluster of grapes. Now, when I go to the grocery store and buy grapes, they're in this little bag, right? The, it, apparently, this single cluster of grapes was so big, they had to like, take a pole and put it between two guys on their shoulders, and it, the grapes were suspended underneath there. Like, this is a significant cluster of grapes. They also brought some pomegranates and some figs, and they, they bring all this back to Moses, okay? They come back to Moses and to Aaron and to the whole Israelite community where they've gathered, and they report to them. They report to them in the whole assembly. They show them the fruit of the land, And then they give Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. But the people who live there, they're powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak. And what that would be is... um, the descendants of Anak were thought to be like really tall, large, warrior-type people, descendants of the Nephilim, which were the, the sons of God and the daughters of men who, who came together and created these like large, powerful people. So we even saw like, like giants in the land. So that's the report. And then it says this in, in verse 30 of Numbers chapter 13. It says, then Caleb... Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they began to spread among the Israelite people all these bad reports about the land that they had explored. You know, we, we saw the giants there. And to the giants, man, we're just like little teeny grasshoppers. You know, that's what it felt like. You know, in, in our own eyes, we look like grasshoppers. And we probably look like grasshoppers to them as well. And it says that that night, now we're into chapter 14 of Numbers. It says that night, all the members of the community raised their voices and they wept. They wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly, and they said to them, man, if only we died in Egypt. If only we died in Egypt or or even in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land just to let us fall by by the sword? Then they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. It's almost like the, the weight of freedom is too much. The, the pressure of freedom is, is too much for them. But then, this is what 
Caleb and Joshua say, you know. So, so after like the people are grumbling and rebelling and wanting to go back to Egypt, it says that Moses and Aaron, they fell face down in front of the whole assembly gathered there. And then this, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. And they said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored, it's exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Twelve guys. Twelve guys went and spent 40 days in the land of Canaan, in the promised land. Joshua and Caleb were two of those 12. Ten of the guys gave a very accurate description of the land. Man, it's an awesome land. It's, a, it's an amazing land. It's flowing with milk and honey. And look how big these grapes are. And yeah, there's also giants in that land. God sort of left that part out when he said the land was flowing with milk and honey. And we're like grasshoppers. We should not go. Joshua and Caleb say, look, those guys are right. The land is a good land. It's an exceedingly good land. It is flowing with milk and honey. And yes, they're right. There are giants in that land. We should go. All 12 guys saw the same thing. It makes me wonder. It makes me just, I guess, consider. You know who you should never follow in life? Those who only see the milk and honey. Because they're going to get crushed by the giants, and you're going to go down with them. But you know who else you should never follow in life? Those who see the milk and honey, but only focus on the giants. Because their fear of the giants will keep them from the milk and honey. Who you need to follow, who you need to be in life, is you need to be the people who see both, who have their eyes wide open and reflect It is a land of milk and honey. It's a good land. It's a life that God has for us. And yet there there are giants. And and they reflect on, I I wonder why God forgot to mention the giants. Maybe it's because to God, giants are inconsequential. To God, giants are like little pipsqueaks. Man, our our God can part the sea. Why did everyone forget this? Joshua and Caleb didn't seem to forget this. Man, our our God can do mighty things. We walked through a sea, remember that? On dry land. Giants are pipsqueaks. They're like, after all, where's the joy in getting the milk and the honey if there's no giants to take down? Yes, there are giants. And yes, we are like grasshoppers. But I'm a really bad grasshopper. I'm a really mean grasshopper. The God of angels' armies is on my side. He parts seas. So it continues. It's just an amazing, dramatic story. The story continues. You know, so after Joshua and Caleb make their case, the whole assembly talked about stoning them. That's the reaction they get. when they Let's go, let's go. We're mean grasshoppers. They talked about stoning them. Then this, listen to this. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to the tent of meeting to all the Israelites And now the Lord starts speaking. The Lord said to Moses, 
how long will these, treat, these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs that I've performed among them? Here's what I'm going to do. God has a plan. I'm going to strike them all down. I'm going to strike them all down with a plague and destroy them. But I will, make sure, I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. That's what God decides to do because of their lack of faith. Moses intervenes, praise God. Moses intervenes and says to the Lord, don't do it, God. Don't do it. Because that will be a bad witness. The Egyptians, they've witnessed all these things that you've done. And, and they know that you're our God and they know that you are leading us. They know that, that we meet with you face to face. They know that, that you lead us with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Man, if you put all these people to death, leaving none alive, all these people are going to say God's not capable of bringing his people into the land. Don't do it, God. In accordance with your great love, God, remember you're a loving God. How about you forgive them? How about you forgive them and you pardon them just like you've been doing ever since we left Egypt? So I find that interesting. Moses has this conversation with the Lord and he changes the Lord's mind. The Lord replied, okay, I will forgive them. I have forgiven them. I have forgiven them just as you, excuse me, just as you asked. But here's the deal. Not one of them gets to go into the promised land. Not one of them who saw my glory and all those miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but then who disobeyed me and tested me 10 times, probably more than that. Not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath way back to Abraham and to their ancestors ever since. No one who treated me with contempt will ever see it. This, verse 20, or no, I'm going to read verse 24 first. I'm going to go back. Forget that yet. But he says this, because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and because Caleb, listen to this, follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land that he went to and his descendants will inherit it. I'll bring him into the land. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, you know, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? You know, so, so you guys who, who didn't trust me, who didn't have the faith to go into the land and take on the giants, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. Everyone 20 years old or more is not going to make it into the promised land. Then he says this, not one of you will enter the land that I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb. Except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. And then, just to finish that chapter, you know, that's what's going to happen. Um, so you're going you're to wander in this land now for 40 years. Your children will be shepherds in this land. Um, the people who are responsible for spreading the bad reports and discouraging everybody, uh, they got struck down with a plague. Of the men who went to explore the land, only Joshua and Caleb survived. And then they had this funny scene, like, it's not funny really, where the people are like, oh, Okay, now we're ready. We're ready now, Lord, but it's too late. It's too late. You didn't demonstrate faithfulness. I'm going to go verse 30. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home except Caleb. Except Caleb. I just, I love that phrase. 
except Caleb. Usually you don't want to be the exception, right? Usually you don't want to be the exception. Everyone gets picked for the kickball team except you. Everyone gets invited to the party except you. Even though you go to those people like, hey, why didn't you invite me? Oh, you were on the list. Must have been a mistake, you know, something like that. You know, usually you don't want to be the exception. Usually the exception is the one left out. Here, the exception is the one who gets called in, not left out. God swore, he says, with uplifted hands to the Israelites that they would have this land, a land to make a home. But now, none of you get to experience this. None of you get to enter the land except Caleb and Joshua. I mean, we're not surprised by Joshua. Like, we expect Joshua to go into the land. But Caleb makes it too. And, And I think the question this morning is, are you ready to become an exception to the rule? God is saying that Caleb is my proof that I always keep my promises. I'm a God who keeps his word. The rest of you are not going to experience that. I mean, do you, ever, do you ever identify with that? Do you ever feel like that? That, that you know, what you read in the Bible is never really reality for your life? I mean, that's easier to accept when it never works for anybody, when we're all in the same boat. But, but what happens when someone rises up as an exception and proves that we're really actually not the rule? I was thinking about that, like uh, the Ottawa County Fair happened a couple of weeks ago. How many people went to the Ottawa County Fair? This is not a fair congregation. I can see that. I didn't go either. I haven't been to the fair in many years, but I drive by it every day, you know, when it's happening. And I remember, like, loving going to the fair when I was little. I, the the Tilt-A-Whirl, you know, and the um, Scrambler, you know, those were my rides. You know, when the fair came to Cadillac, those were my rides. Those were the most amazing rides ever. But I also like playing the games. You ever play the games at the fair? Like, they look so easy. Like, I just got to throw this ring and it'll land on a bottle cap and I'm going to get a big stuffed animal. I just take this dart and I throw it at a balloon. How can anyone miss a balloon? Like, and you think like, this is so easy. And then you realize nobody wins. Nobody ever wins. These games must be rigged. They got to be rigged. Because how could I not hit that balloon or knock over a can with a baseball? Like, they got to be rigged. And you think, this is just the way it is for everybody. And then you see that person walking around with this huge teddy bear that they won. And you're like, no way. How? I think they pay people to carry those around to inspire you. But like, obviously, obviously somebody won. So it, it's possible for somebody. Sometimes I think we relate to, to life that way. I think we relate to God that way. We, we assume that, that this is really all there is, the status quo that nobody really wins, that there really never is any breakthrough, so to speak. God really doesn't do extraordinary things in our lives. But then that exception comes along. And, and you see in somebody all the things that, that you thought were unattainable, and they're experiencing that. They're experiencing victory. They're experiencing breakthrough. They're experiencing supernatural power. That Caleb comes along and reminds us that it is possible, and it can be us too. God, I think, is looking for exceptional people, except Caleb. God is looking for the exceptional people who are willing to follow him wholeheartedly. Now, it's interesting, Caleb's name actually means dog. Did you know that? Is there any Caleb's here this morning? Any Caleb's in the room? 
I mean, like, you know, you're born and your parents hold you up. He looks just like a Caleb, you know, a Caleb. Caleb means dog. But you know what? Caleb's been a popular name for over 2,000 years. It's been a popular name. Why? Not because of what the name means, you know, in its origin, but because of the name that Caleb made it to be with his life. It actually means like dog, like, like faithful, like the faithful one. Caleb's name has value because of what it meant after his death. Caleb redefined his name. He was named Dog, but he ended up a legend. He ended up a legend in um, the, the, the folklore of, of the Israelites. He, ex- he, he actually got to experience promised land living. And, and I think it begs the question, you know, if, if we take the metaphor now and, and apply it to our lives, which land or which life are you living in today? Which land have you chosen? Because we choose the land we live in by the choices we make. Which land are you choosing to live in? How many of us, though God has a land and a home and a promise for us and freedom, we actually choose to live in bondage? We, we choose to live in bondage to the things that he came to set us free from. How many of us, we want to be free, but we don't like the weight of freedom because freedom means we have to grow up. Some of us, we, we don't think God has come through in our lives, but maybe the reason is because we've gone back. We, we, just like the Israelites, we, we've tried to go back. We've decided that surrender was our destiny. And there's others are like those who have wandered through the wilderness for 40 years. And God let them wander because they didn't have the faith to move forward. Most of us, like, we don't go back to slavery, but we choose to settle and we choose to wander. So I want to bring this story to a conclusion because the younger generation of these Israelites who wandered in the desert for 40 years, the younger generation, those you know, under 20 years old, they grew up and actually got to step into the promised land. They, they crossed the Jordan River by the city of Jericho and they fought to possess the land that God had declared was theirs. They stayed with it, which brings us to Joshua 14. So if you're in Numbers 14 right now, just skip ahead of, to Joshua. Go two books forward and go to Joshua 14. So what's happening is they, they've, they've entered the promised land, the land of Canaan. They've taken possession of it. They, they fought for it. And now they're dividing up the land. Joshua is dividing up the land among the tribes of Israel, okay? That's what's going on here. And then we get to verse six. It says, now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kesanite, said to him. He, so, so you have Caleb talking to Joshua as they're getting ready to divide up the land. And, and Caleb says, hey, remember, remember what the Lord said to Moses. I was 40 years old at the time when Moses, the servant of the Lord, he, he sent me to Kadesh and he sent me to explore the land of Canaan. And I brought back a report according to my convictions. But remember my fellow Israelites who went with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet walked will be your inheritance in your children's forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. The, the, the whole, so Caleb's reminding Joshua of, of, of his faithfulness. 
Because this whole scene in, in, this, in Joshua 14 is Joshua dividing up the promised land. And, and you almost get this, this impression, I think, that, that Joshua is trying to be nice to Caleb because Caleb's been so faithful. He's trying to divide up the land. I think Joshua is trying to give Caleb a break. And maybe even, you know, maybe Caleb's worried that Joshua is going to offer him a piece of land where there's already peace because Joshua thinks, man, he's an old man now. He, he deserves rest. I'm going to give him an easy piece of land. I mean, have you ever, you ever been at that spot in your journey? I've had enough fights. I've had enough challenges. I've had enough struggles. I've had enough faith, I think. I deserve for God to now, like, be faithful to me. I deserve for God to sort of pony up and give me the land and the house that I think I deserve. I want to live in the comfort of my faith now. And I think God allows us sometimes to settle if that's really what we want. But it's not what Caleb wanted. Caleb did not want to settle for easy land. I mean, listen to this, verses 10 through 12. It says, now then, this is Caleb talking to Joshua. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he's kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said all this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. So here's what I want you to do, Joshua. Give me the hill country. Give me the hill country that the Lord promised me on that day so long ago. You yourself heard that the Anakites, the giants, the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out. I will drive them out just as he said. Caleb's like, God has kept me alive. God's been good. God's been faithful to me. Here I am, 85 years old today, still strong today like I was then. I, I figure that uh, Caleb probably, he kind of looks and talks like Clint Eastwood, you know, as an old guy. Like he's just really slow and strong. And you don't want to mess with him. Like, give me the hill country. I've been waiting 45 years. Give me the giants. I will drive them out. So you know what Joshua did? Joshua blessed Caleb. He blessed Caleb and he gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb ever since because he followed God wholeheartedly. Joshua blessed Caleb with a nice retirement home on the ninth green of the golf course in the promised land. No, that's not the blessing. Joshua blessed Caleb by giving him the battle that he was the only one courageous enough to take on. Has it ever occurred to us that God's blessing for our life is to send us into battle against giants? Joshua blessed Caleb by giving him the hill country and letting him take on the most difficult battle if you want to avoid battles in your life, don't follow Jesus, okay? I'm serious. If you want to live a life of peace and rest, don't follow Jesus. There's nothing easy about following Jesus. There's nothing Jesus will ever call us to that, that is downward and backward. It's always forward. It's always into new territory. Take that next hill. Win that next soul for Christ, Caleb's like, I'm 85 years old. I'm just getting started. 
I'm just getting started. God's not done with me, Joshua, so don't keep me from what God has for me. I don't need your help. I just need your blessing. Give me the hill country where the giants live. Can you imagine, like, Caleb going back to his tribe, to the tribe of Judah, you know, after this, and, and like, so what do we get? We get, we get the, we got the beachfront, how do we get the, the, the nice beach? Like, no, that's, there's already peace there. Oh, do we get that, that, that beautiful grassy area, you know, down there? Like, no, that, see those hills up there? It's where the giants live. There's big walls around those cities. That's what we're, that's where we're going. We're going to become Legends. We're going to do the impossible. Some of us are missing out on what Jesus has for us because we're not willing to get into the battle. We want it to just come our way. Yes, Jesus has won the battle ultimately for us. He's already won the victory. He is the victory that we sang about. But that doesn't mean that that we get to just coast. That that doesn't mean that that we we can't be willing to, to join in in the battle, in, in claiming territory for Jesus. Because now we join his mission. So let's go for the hills. Let's, let's go for the giants. Let's get in the fight. Let's write a good story. Esther, when we filmed her video, she's 84 years old. She'll be 85 in a few weeks, right? At the end of this month, you're going to be 85. She's still in the battle. She's still looking for women to disciple. She's still helping people win souls for Jesus. She's in the battle. What's going to be your video story when you're 85? What's going to be your video story next week? Like, where, I'm going to invite the band forward, but, but let me just ask some questions. I mean, think, think, think of Caleb this morning. Let, let Caleb be our inspiration this morning. When Caleb gets to the end of what feels like, you know, the end of his life, his story is just getting started. Man, may, may we be like that. I want to be like that. I mean, I'm, I'm, my next birthday, I'm going to be 50. In 35 years, I hope I'm just getting going. In 35 years from now, I, I hope I'm just ramping up. I, I, I hope I'm just, you know, uh, like, like Caleb, like looking for that next hill to take, looking for those next giants to battle, looking for that next soul to win, for that next territory to take, for the kingdom of God. May we be people like that. May we be church like that. May we never back down. May we never avoid the battles of taking on the giants who are occupying territory that God has given us. Let's be that kind of church. Let's be that kind of people. So I just ask you these questions just to reflect on, and we're going to stand and sing. As you think about the journey of, of the Israelites, do you feel like you're settling? Do you feel like you're resisting the battle that comes with the promises? Do you feel like you just, are you trying to go back? What is the next battle God is inviting you to join him in? Maybe it's for a person. Maybe it's for a a place where the enemy is occupying and God's inviting you to do something about it, to, to take down the giants. You can't do it on your own, but... Remember, we have the God of angel armies on our side. And the way we fight battles is, is, is we invite him to go before us, to come around us, to come after us. We fight our battles through prayer and through worship and through intentionality.
Maybe a third question you could ponder this morning is, what is your jar of jam? Like Esther challenged us with. Sometimes, sometimes you know, the battle begins by, by just paying attention to the people around you and engaging them and joining God on his mission in that person's life and becoming you know, a, a partner in battle with that person. So what's God saying to you this morning? Where's he calling you? What hill is he inviting you to take? Will you be like Caleb? And will you go after it wholeheartedly? Let's stand. And let's remind ourselves this morning the power that we have, the victory we have, and the way that we fight our battles. Let's sing this song.